We begin with that very difficult uh, final verse of that passage. And Jesus concluded, that is how my Father in heaven will treat every one of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. I'll never forgive that woman, said an angry Christian lady to John Wesley. Then I fear, madam, that God will never forgive you, was his quiet reply. This parable teaches us about the seriousness of responsible forgiving and demonstrates how our unforgiveness affects our relationship with God. So the reading begins with a very important question from Peter. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now, you see, if you asked that question in Old Testament times, the answer would have been three, three times. So maybe Peter's thinking he's quite generous here because he's suggesting seven times. But Jesus says, no, it's 70 times seven. And you know that 70 times seven is not a mathematical formula for forgiveness. The point that Jesus is making here in his reply is that forgiveness should be unlimited. And to illustrate that point, he shares with them his story of the unforgiving servant. The first servant in the story is brought before the king because he owes the king a huge amount of money. What is it? 10,000 bags of gold. That's a lot of money. And the king wants it back. This servant basically owes millions of pounds. In fact, it's been said that the amount of debt is so great that realistically there is no way that he can afford to pay this amount back, even though he offers to. And the king knows this. And the servant pleaded with the king, and we are told that the king felt sorry for him, forgave him the debt, and let him go. No debt no punishment. But no sooner had he been forgiven than he meets up with a fellow servant who owes him some money and he reacts very differently. In fact, he reacts quite violently and says to this other servant, you pay me what you owe me. And this servant also pleads for some more time to pay it back. But you see, there's a difference here in this case, and that is that the amount that this second servant owed is very small. It's a few pounds. And given time, this servant was well able to pay back his debt. But this wasn't good enough. And he was thrown into jail until his debt could be paid. Now, when the king hears about this, he's furious. And servant number one is back where he started, in front of the king. 
And the king tells him, I forgave you the whole amount because you asked me to. The king didn't gain anything out of this whatsoever. You should have shown mercy too. So servant number one is sent to jail to be punished until he'd pay back the full amount. You see, the willingness of the king to cancel the debt emphasizes to us the free basis of God's forgiveness, as has been mentioned tonight, unconditional. And when you read your Bible, not only will you come across many accounts of human sinfulness, but more importantly, the eagerness of God to forgive sinners. He invites us to say sorry so that he can forgive us and we can make that fresh start. And according to that parable that was read to us, that parable of Jesus's explains to us that every one of us is so overwhelmingly in debt, there is no way that we could ever pay back to God what we owe. And our forgiveness must reflect the even greater forgiveness that has been given to us. So if we refuse to forgive others, this shows that we have failed to appreciate and therefore to really receive the forgiveness of God ourselves. We cannot have the benefits of a restored relationship with God and hold grudges against others. And in fact, bearing a grudge is both emotionally and spiritually crippling. And there are some people who would say it is even physically crippling. It can make you ill. So basically, holding a grudge is not good for you. We've listened to a few stories of forgiveness this evening. They are remarkable. And I would guess that we each have our own stories too. I have my stories. But that third story from Corrie Ten Boom's experience teaches us that forgiving others is not some casual, glib act. It's dark, difficult at times. And it doesn't come natural to us on occasions. It's quite possible that at least one of us here tonight is holding a grudge. It's quite possible tonight that someone is here who has been hurt and is still hurting. It's quite possible tonight that someone is sitting here feeling bitter or angry. And it's been going on for years, and forgiveness seems impossible. And it isn't doing you any good. The one who's really suffering in all of this is you. And if we are to believe in the gospel, and it is the gospel of good news, there is a way out. You see it there, the cross. You see it here. It begins with prayer. 
And so you may say to me, well, yeah, Keena, I've got that, but what am I supposed to say? Well, I'll tell you, you tell God exactly how you feel. You start where you're at. Because frankly, it's all you can do. You can't start anywhere else. You start where you're at. And so, yes, that means if you're angry, you tell him. You tell him how you feel. Because certainly in my experience, and I believe this, God is the biggest respecter of honesty you will ever, ever meet. He's big enough to take it, and he's loving enough to care. And when you say that prayer, you'll have taken the first step on the road to forgiving. You are the one who holds the key to your release from guilt and bitterness, and God wants to work with you on that. Philip Yancey writes, Grace is irrational. It's unfair, it's unjust, and it only makes sense if I believe in another world governed by a merciful God who always offers another chance. Amazing grace holds out the promise that God judges people not for what they have been, but for what they could be. Not by their past, but by their future. And John Newton, who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, was a gruff and bawdy slave trader, a wretch like me, he writes in his hymn. He was transformed by the power of amazing grace. And when the world sees grace in action, it falls silent. Maybe out of respect, Maybe because it's not really sure how to respond. And Nelson Mandela taught the world a lesson in grace. When after emerging from prison after 27 years and being elected president of South Africa, he asked his jailer to join him on the inauguration platform. If the church is the community of the forgiven, and it is, then all its relationships should be marked by a forgiveness, which is not merely words, but an essential characteristic from your heart. Paul writes in Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Evil is overcome by good only if the injured party absorbs it, refusing to allow it to go any further. And that is the pattern of otherworldly grace that Jesus showed in his life and death. And just some verses that came to me as we were hearing our stories this evening and looking at that cross. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. He died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good. 
that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. Amen.